Order. Welcome to the May meeting of the Local Agency Formation Commission. I am Supervisor Connie Chan, Chair of the Commission, and I uh, today I'm very uh, pleased to be joined by Vice Chair Jackie Filter and Commissioners Gordon Marr and Dean Preston and Shanti Singh. Uh, or uh, yes, and then um, the clerk is Alyssa Samara. Also, I'd like to thank the staff at SFGov TV for broadcasting this meeting. Thank you so much. Madam Clerk, do you have any announcements for us today? Yes, I do, Madam Chair. <clears throat> Today's LAFCO meeting is being held through video conference and the members will be participating in the meeting to the same extent as if they were physically present. Public comment will be available on each item on this agenda, channel 26, 78, or 99, depending on your provider, and sfgovtv.org are streaming the public comment number across the screen. Comments or opportunities to speak during the public comment period are available via phone by calling 415-655-0001. Meeting ID is 2497-418-9681, then pound and pound again. When connected, you will hear the meeting discussions, but you will be muted and in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up, please dial star three to be added to the speaker line. Best practices are to call from a quiet location, speak clearly and slowly, and turn down your television or listening devices. Alternatively, you may submit your public comment via email to myself, the LAFCO clerk, at Elisa Samara, A-L-I-S-A dot S-O-M-E-R-A at S-F-G-O-V dot O-R-G, or by U.S. mail to 1, Dr. Carlton B. Goodlip Place, room 244, San Francisco, California, 94102. If you submit public comment in either of these ways, it will be forwarded to the commissioners and included as part of the official file. Madam Clerk, that concludes my announcements. Thank you, Madam Clerk. I'd like to give my colleagues a friendly reminder to please put your name in the chat if you would like to speak. Uh, the chat serves as the official roster uh, and uh, raising hand will be uh, just a bit difficult to do track uh, for uh, minutes. Um, Madam Clerk, please uh, call item number two. Um, and can, uh, on, on the call, do you, would you like me to take roll call? Yes, I do, please. My apologies. Thank you. Roll call. Uh, Commission, um, Chair Chan. Present. Chan, present. Vice Chair Fielder. Present. Fielder, present. Commissioner Marr. Present. Marr, present. Commissioner Preston. Present. Preston, present. Commissioner Singh. Present. Singh, present. Madam Chair, you have a quorum. Thank you. Uh, and uh, Madam Clerk, please, uh, for item number two. Yes, item number two is findings to allow teleconference meetings under California Government Code Section 54953E. Members of the public who wish to provide comment on this item should call the public comment number now, 415-655-0001. Meeting ID, 2497 418-9681, then pound and pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak and a system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. Please wait until we call for public comment on this item and the system indicates that you have been unmuted and that will be your cue to begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Uh, before we make the motion to adopt these findings, uh, can we please open to public comment? Yes, um, as I stated, members of the public who wish to provide comment on this item should dial star three now. Um, and a system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. Please wait until you've been unmuted and then you may begin your comments. Um, I am checking to see the public comment line and it appears we have no public commenters, Madam Chair. Thank you, seeing no public uh, comments. Public comments is now closed. Uh, I would like to make the motion to approve these findings. May I have a second? Second. 
Preston. Se second by Preston. Uh, may we have a roll call on the motion? Yes, uh, Liz, could you turn off your camera, please, until your presentation is called? That would be great, thank you. On the motion for item number two, uh, Vice Chair Fielder. Aye. Fielder, aye. Commissioner Marr. Aye. Marr, aye. Commissioner Preston. Aye. Preston, aye. Commissioner Singh. Aye. Singh, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. There are five ayes. Thank you. Uh, this motion has been approved unanimously, uh, and the finding is also uh, the finding is approved. Madam Clerk, can you please call item number three? Item number three is approval of the LAFCO minutes from the April 15, 2022 regular meeting. Members of the public who wish to provide comment on this item should call 415-655-0001, meeting ID. 2497-418-9681, then pound and pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak. An assistant prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand. Please wait until we call for public comment. And the system indicates that you have been unmuted. Madam Chair. Thank you. If commissioner has any changes to the minutes, please put your name on the roster to submit your amendments or speak on your amendments uh, or any changes. Seeing none uh, on the roster. Uh, Madam Clerk, please open this to public comment. Yeah, as stated for members of the public, if you've not already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak and a system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. Um, please wait until the system indicates that you have been unmuted. That will be to be in your comments. I am checking the public comment line and we have no call, uh, no public comment chair. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Seeing no public comments, public comment is now closed. Um, I move to approve these minutes, and may I have a second? A second, Mrs. Fielder. Great, thank you. Uh, I move this motion and second by Commissioner or Vice Chair Fielder. Madam Clerk, could you please call roll? Yes, on item number three, Vice Chair Fielder. Aye. Fielder, aye. Commissioner Marr. Aye. Mar, aye. Commissioner Preston. Aye. Preston, aye. Commissioner Singh. Aye. Singh, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. There are five ayes. Thank you. This motion, this item has been approved unanimously. Um, Madam Clerk, can you please call the items out of order and call on item number eight for uh, the budget? Yes, item number eight is the final budget and work plan for fiscal year 2022. 2023. For members of the public who wish to provide comment on this item, they should call 415-655-0001, meeting ID 2497-418-9681, then pound and pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak, and a system prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand. Please wait until we call for public comment on this item, and the system indicates that you have been unmuted. That will be your cue to begin your comment. Madam Chair. Thank you, Madam Kirk. Uh, colleagues, we adopted this proposed uh, budget in our last meeting, and we're adopting the final uh, budget today for us to meet the June 15 deadline, and that is set by uh, the states. Uh, so I will turn this over to our executive officer, Jeremy Pollock, to uh, present on the item. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, good morning, Chair Chan and Commissioners. Uh, Jeremy Pollock, Executive Officer for San Francisco LAFCO. And I just have a, a very brief presentation on the budget here. 
Um, as Chair Chan said, um, our LAFCO budget is needs to be approved by June 15th. <clears throat> we work on the schedule um, set by uh, the state government code. So we're a little out of sequence with uh, the city and county's budget. Um, the budget before you is a total of $553,000, uh, a, a big decrease from last year's budget, mainly because of the, the lack of the continuation of the funding for the reinvestment working group consultant. Um, the general fund amount that we're requesting is uh, unchanged from last year at $341,000. And uh, this is the now the third time that LAFCO has looked at this budget. We uh, did a preview of it uh, back at the beginning of the year. Uh, and that was incorporated into the clerk of the board's budget, which was presented at the Budget and Finance Committee. Um, last month, the commission uh, voted to allocate $10,000 from the Chen, the the the, the fund balance for interpretation for the reinvestment working group um, and the rest of the the budget is unchanged from last month um, and hopefully this uh, this comes through my apologies for the small text this is um, just the uh, the line items for the sources of the budget and I have the, the even smaller line items for the expenditures in case you all have any questions um, and as far as the work plan uh, the work plan is is unchanged from last month with uh, organizing LAFCO's work around the three major priorities of clean power SF, uh, public making, and continuing the gig economy work. Um, and that essentially is my uh, presentation and happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Executive Officer Pollock. And just want to make sure that we know that this is for the remainder of the fiscal year. And uh, and, and obviously, we can always have a discussion uh, end of this year in December and, and start thinking about the upcoming year ahead. Um, I, I look forward to seeing uh, more information coming from Public Bank uh, Working Group, the Reinvestment Working Group. I, I think it's it's going to be uh, something for, for us to work worthy for us to really discuss by the end of this year, uh, moving forward for the next year budget. Uh, so just something to think about um, with the conversation today, but I uh, generally am really just grateful to all the work that Jeremy that you have put in. I And thank you so much for taking over this position, managing our budget. Uh, Colleagues, if I don't see any more comments and questions in the roster and your name in the roster, uh, I, I then I probably am going to make the motion to move this um, uh, forward, but we'll also open to public comments before we move this motion. Um, Vice Chair Fielder. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, OK. Uh, all right. Looks like uh, I, I feel like when it's there's no questions, it actually speaks volume to to the trust and respect that we have for you, Jeremy. So I, I think you should take that as a really good sign. <laughs> um, so um, Madam Clerk, could you please open this to public comment? Yes, Madam Chair, members of the public uh, who wish to speak on this item should dial star three now to line up to speak. Um, Assistant prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand. Uh, when the system indicates that you have been unmuted, that will be your cue to begin your comments. We have Jaime here with us today, checking, uh, running our public comment line. He's checking to see if we have any callers in the queue. And we have no callers, Madam Chair. Seeing no more public comments, public comment is now closed. Um, 
Colleagues, is there a motion? Would someone like to make a motion to move this uh, to approve this budget? So moved. Second. Great. Thank you. Um, the motion move is moved by Vice Chair Filder, second by Commissioner. Mar, Madam Clerk, may we have the roll? Uh, yes, Madam Chair, because this is the final budget uh, approval, um, I did want to state what the motion is exactly. Um, it is a, a, the motion is to approve the final budget work plan in the amount of $550,567, requesting the statutory amount of $341,240 from the City and County of San Francisco General Fund. Is that correct? That is correct. Thank you so much, Madam Clerk. Okay, great. On that motion for item number eight, Vice Chair Fielder. Aye. Fielder, okay. aye. Commissioner Marr. Aye. Marr, aye. Commissioner Preston. Aye. Preston, aye. Commissioner Singh. Aye. Singh, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. There are five ayes. Thank you. Now the motion and the budget has been approved um, unanimously. Thank you. And uh, I do want to apologize, colleagues, but I will be uh, leaving this meeting and like to turn the gavel over to Vice Chair Fielder for the remainder of this meeting. And uh, also with that, though, a reminder that we now have approved for uh, a seat, uh, a, a community, a, a public seat uh, for as a commission to uh, as a commissioner uh, on this commission. And I really uh, wanted to urge uh, members of the public uh, who are interested in advancing uh, agenda like Clean Power SF, Public Bank, uh, a gig economy and, and just uh, overall municipal service review, uh, which is the authority and the jurisdiction of this body. Uh, anyone who's interested in all these uh, issues would apply and join us. And I think that uh, would be great to hear more uh, from our public. Uh, uh, and again, this is actually independent and a state body, uh, not part of uh, the city government, uh, so to speak. Uh, so, thank you, and uh, I think, uh, Vice Chair Filter, I will turn it over to you to make the motion to excuse me, so. Thank you, Chair Chan. Uh, fellow commissioners, I'd like to make a motion to excuse Chair Chan for the remainder of the meeting. Do I have a second? Second. Thank um, on the motion to excuse uh, Chair Chan from the remainder of the meeting starting at 10.20 a.m. Commissioner Marr. Aye. Marr, aye. Commissioner Preston. Aye. Preston, aye. Commissioner Singh. Aye. Singh, aye. Vice Chair Fielder. Aye. Fielder, aye. There are four ayes. Thank you. Madam Clerk, can you please call item number four? 
Yes, item number four is the introduction of the reinvestment working group and public banking consultant. For members of the public who wish to provide comment on this item, should dial 415-655-0001, meeting ID 2497-418-9681, then pound and pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak, and a system prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand. Please wait until we call for public comment on this item, and the system indicates that you have been unmuted. That will be your cue to begin your comments, Madam Chair. Thank you, Madam Clerk. So at this point, we're going to shift gears into the reinvestment working group portion of the meeting. And we're going to be hearing from Khalid, our reinvestment working group policy analyst. And we're also going to be meeting the new working group members. Um, so please take it away. Colin, and please keep this item to 10 minutes. That would be appreciated. <laughs> Thank you, um, uh, Vice Chair Fielder. Uh, do my best. Thank you, Commissioners, for your time. Um, <clears throat> I'm Colin Samurai, uh, Policy Analyst of the Investment Working Group. Um, uh, today, I have the pleasure of introducing the members of the Reinvestment Working Group. Um, I'm going to end, of course, the HRNA um, team, the consultants who are helping us uh, write the business plan for a public bank. Um, you've heard from me a few times, so I won't take any more of your time. I'm going to pass it on to the chair and vice chair to say a few words about public banking and then ask the rest of the members of the reinvestment working group to limit their introduction to their name, pronouns if they wish, and the organization they're affiliated with. Uh, chair, uh, Evans, sorry. Thank you. Lacko. Hello, everyone. Um, I'm Kristen Evans, she, her pronouns. Um, I am in seat five, of, uh, which is a community seat of the reinvestment working group, uh, which represents small businesses. I'm a small business owner. I own a bookstore called The Booksmith and a bar restaurant called The Alembic. Um, I'm very happy to report that we've just uh, started our work. Uh, we had our second meeting yesterday. Um, our consultants are on, uh, getting onboarded and we are going to get to work uh, since I know we have a, a, a timeline to accomplish great things to help us get uh, closer to establishing a public bank for San Francisco. I'm going to hand it off to Vice Chair Marty. Hi, um, good to see you all. Uh, my name is Fernando Marti. Uh, for the last 12 years, I've been uh, co-director at the Council of Community Housing Organizations, and I continue to work with Choo Choo for the next few months. Um, I'm uh, on the housing seat um, in the reinvestment working group. And um, I think just a, a couple of things I, I wanted to say is um, kind of, I think, part of our role in this working group is uh, reaffirming our accountability and commitment to the various goals that uh, we set out for ourselves in pushing for the public bank, uh, working with Chair Fielder early on um, on this project, um, our commitment to uh, racial justice, um, to indigenous sovereignty, and to um, using or figuring out ways that the bank will commit itself to the work of housing justice and economic justice and environmental justice. I'll pass Great. it on to my colleagues. So I, I have a list of our colleagues that are here and I'll just call them in order. Um, uh, Rafael Morales. 
Hope you're on mute, Rafael. Sorry about that. Good morning, Rafael Morales, he, him, his. I've uh, been a San Francisco resident since 2008 and currently serve as senior manager for development policy and impact at Self-Help Federal Credit Union, which is one of the largest community development credit unions in the nation um, with four and a half billion in assets under management, 74 branches nationwide, including 20 in California, and we serve over 190,000 members across the country. Thank you. Uh, Jennifer Finger. Good morning, Jennifer Finger, she, her pronouns. Um, I uh, work with the Beneficial State Bank, um, which is about a billion two uh, community bank. And it was founded in 2007 with a structure to, uh, that, that uh, rewards uh, the community versus rewarding shareholders. And um, look forward with, to um, seeing how we can extend the mission um, with the with the public bank. Thank you. And I have Elizabeth Dwyer. Hi, um, I'm Liz Dwyer. She, her. Um, I'm in one of the seats for mm -hmm. financial institution experts. So for about. 12 years now, I've worked in the community development financial institution industry. So these are um, the ones I've worked in primarily are nonprofit loan funds that help make loans to small businesses and communities uh, that banks just won't serve. Um, and so I'm really excited to uh, be part of this and help, help bring a whole public bank to San Francisco that can support both CDFIs um, and the city as a whole. Thank you, uh, Michelle Pierce. I don't believe I see her name in, thank, uh, in attendance. Thank you. Sylvia Chi. Hi, uh, this is Sylvia Chi. I use she or they pronouns. Um, and I'm a senior strategist with Just Solutions Collective, working on envir environmental justice policy. Um, and I'm in one of the community seats and I'm part of the San Francisco Public Bank Coalition. Terrific. And Anna Vandenya? Hi, Anna Van Degna, uh, she, her pronouns. I'm the public finance director for the city and county of San Francisco, and I represent the controller's office. Great. And I believe um, the treasurer's representative, Amanda Free, had told us that she had a conflict today, so she won't be present today. Um, and then I can uh, introduce our consultant, uh, Yakimo. Um. Thank you, Chair Evans. My name is Giacomo Bagarella. I am a director at HRNA Advisors. We're an economic uh, development and urban uh, development consulting firm. Um, and uh, I don't know how we are with time, Khaled, and, and what you'd like me to say about um, our work and scope. So I can pause there and then um, let me let you tell me what you want to hear. Um, Vice Chair Fielder, how are we on time? We're, like really, we're doing really well on time. Um, would five minutes suffice? Would you like to hear more from HRNA? Yes, that'd be great. Uh, could you just uh, say a little bit about, um, you know, summarize our the presentation you gave the reinvestment working group yesterday, Giacomo? Uh, sure, I'd be happy to. I can share my screen um, and show you the, the first few um, slides about 
our team and the work that we will be um, doing, but I don't think I have the ability to share my screen. I am, give me a second. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Um, well, this is a fantastic group. Thank you so much to everyone for, for being a part. I know that this is all in your free time with the exception of the consultants, obviously, um, but thank you. Giacomo. Yep, thank you. I will be pulling up my slides shortly. One second. All right, so um, thank you again for making the time for us to share uh, this morning. Um, I will just briefly discuss who we are as part of the consulting team and then uh, briefly summarize our scope and I'm happy to answer any questions from um, the commission. So uh, we're a team consisting of uh, three organizations, HRNA advisors, as I mentioned, where um, we really bring the urban and economic policy lens to this work. And specifically through our inclusive cities practice, we bring um, an anti-racism and equitable economic development approach to um, thinking about public banking and um, urban investment, really thinking that every decision that a bank makes is an economic development decision. And so we need to um, think about different structures for making those um, decisions and investments in San Francisco. We've worked with um, cities like Seattle, Philadelphia, and Lancaster in California on their own public banking studies and work. We're joined by the Finley companies who are a group of um, attorneys and uh, banking industry practitioners who've helped to establish over 100 banks in California and the Southwest um, and uh, who, who, whose um, staff have also served as leadership on um, bank boards and, and executive teams. And so they really have that um, you know, very solid banking and regulatory experience. And then finally, we have Contigo Communications, which is a San Francisco-based um, you know, group of experts in community engagement. And so they're going to be um, leading our efforts to reach out to all of the different communities and organizations and stakeholders that um, you know, will really have a key role in informing the public bank business plan, feasibility studies, and all the work that we will be doing. Um, Briefly about our scope, um, obviously we'll, we're going to be working very closely with the um, working group as well as um, LAFCO and we see this as a partnership where you know, through meetings such as this and the meeting that we had yesterday, we'll have um, discussions, um, opportunities to raise questions, understand uh, your goals and priorities and really keep that um, very strong focus on the vision for this project that you set out through the ordinance, through the RFP, and through um, all of our conversations so far. First phase of our work will focus on education and engagement, where we'll um, very clearly lay out all of the steps and decisions that are needed to establish an MFC in a public bank, according to all of the um, you know, local, state, and federal requirements. And then we will have conversations based on that path and based on the city's vision with um, key local communities and stakeholders to really establish the priorities and chart a viable path um, together. And that will lead to a decision on the um, specific banking model that we will pursue together, meaning um, the structure of the bank, the services it will provide, um, the priority areas for investment and lending and, and so forth. In phase two, once we've had made that decision, 
for um, you know the banking structure and priorities, we will you know really do the bulk of our work in terms of analyzing the the financial um, viability of the bank and putting together the governance and uh, business plans that will really um, you know create the structure and lay out all of the details of how these organizations will be constructed and operate. And these are the documents that will then go to the regulators to um, enable the establishment of these institutions. And of course, throughout this entire process, we're still going to be engaging with the working group, community members, et cetera, to make sure that there is a very strong um, you know, accountability to the objectives of this project. Finally, this is just a, a timeline. I know we have you know, constraints um, from the ordinance in the, in the time that we have to complete this project. And so we're really um, going to be doing a, a you know, accelerated phase one over the next three months or so. And after we have that key decision on the priorities and structure that the city and uh, working group want to pursue, we will move on to phase two, where we'll be preparing all of the documents that I mentioned. Um, and just to recap, um, the deliverables that, that we'll be providing will be governance, business and viability, plans and studies for the MFC, and then the same documents for the public bank. And obviously all of these will be um, in compliance with local state and federal laws and regulations and policies to make sure that these are the documents that enable that critical next step of establishing these institutions. So I'll pause there and um, give the opportunity for, for questions or any other discussion that um, this group wishes to have. Thank you, Giacomo. Thank you, Giacomo. Colleagues, please put your name in the chat if you would like to ask any questions. Commissioner Marr. Thank you so much, Chair Fielder. And I, I just really wanted to take this opportunity to really to thank the um, the working group or um, yeah, for all of your um, incredibly important work on, on moving this um, this this um, um, uh, visionary and, and impactful project forward to this stage. And it's really exciting just to hear the um, for me, this is the first time I've, I've seen the actual the timeline and sort of the work plan laid out and to see that you know, this year it's things are going to be really starting to 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 come together in terms of the um, you know the, the real plan to create the public bank in San Francisco. So I'm just yeah so appreciative of all your work and your commitment to this and and look forward to to really supporting this and and this effort you know in this this critical next phase and and also um, connecting it to to the work that we've been doing in the District Four office um, around. Um, Addressing the housing affordability crisis, you know, supporting, creating more support for our our, our small um, mom and pop businesses, um, and and addressing the the um, the continued um, um, inequality and economic divide in our city through a public bank. So thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Marr. Um, Commissioners Preston or Singh, anything you would like to add? Commissioner Preston. Thank you. Um, and I, I really just wanted to echo my colleagues' remarks, uh, Commissioner Mars, and, and thank the, the working group and consultant. And it's just, it is very exciting to see this 
moving forward and uh, on, on a real timeline and appreciate um, everyone's work. I also really want to recognize uh, Mr. Pollock and, and Mr. Samurai's um, work, um, you know, as well as support from, from the clerk's office um, and, and, our, and our consultants. So, um, you know, I, it's, um, I, I just think especially as we're talking about issues around pandemic recovery, affordable housing, small business support, student debt. There's just so many opportunities that I think we all see in what role a public bank will play in our city. And um, there's, you know, other times and places to go on at length about that. Uh, and uh, I won't hear, but I, I just want to say that it's, it's really, it's exciting to see our city at the forefront of what is really a national movement toward public banking. And that's only happening because of the hard work of Chair Chan, LAFCO, Working Group, our consultants, and just want to appreciate uh, everyone's work and uh, and look forward to supporting uh, however I can. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Preston. All right. Well, just a reminder to everyone that the working group meets every third Thursday, I believe, of the month at 3 p.m. It is open to the public. It includes public comment. Um, thank you so much to HRNA and Chair Evans and Khalid and all the members of the working group who have done so much work over the years to really bring this to where it is right now. And there's still a lot of work to do, but really excited to, to move forward. Thank you all. Thank you, Vice Chair Fielder. Um, are there any members of the public who would wish to speak on this item? Madam Vice Chair, I'll go ahead and call for public comment. For members of the public who wish to provide public comment, you should dial star three now to be added to the speaker line. For those already on hold, please continue to wait until the system indicates that you have been unmuted. We have Jaime here checking to see if we have any callers in the queue. And it does appear we have one caller in the speaker line. Jaime, can you put that person through? We are providing Hi, three. good morning. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Please proceed. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Reina Tello, and I've been working with the Public Bank Coalition. I'm calling in to thank the whole Reinvest uh, SF Working Group for all of their service and their attention to detail. I would like to thank Khalid and Jeremy for making this meeting accessible, working behind the scenes to keep it accessible to um, all languages. I really appreciate that. And I just wanted to thank you, LAFCO, um, and ask you to keep up the good work as far as interpretation goes. It's really important to engage all communities, especially monolingual-speaking communities who are underserved um, in all spaces, especially banking. Um, and I just wanted to encourage the good work. And like I said yesterday, think outside the box. Um, we need to redefine that box. And so thank you so much. And I look forward to the next meeting. Thank you so much for your comments. Jaime, do we have any other callers in the queue? And that was the only caller, Madam Vice Chair. All right. Public comment is now closed. And there's no action to take on this matter. Thank you all. Can I 
Sorry, can I jump back on the roster to just say one other thing? Yes, go ahead. Vice Chair Fielder, you listed your thanks to many people. Uh, you, not surprisingly, and in typical fashion, left yourself out. And I just want to recognize Vice Chair Fielder's long-standing advocacy for Public Bank and leadership in the SF Public Bank Coalition, and thrilling to have you as the last LAPCO Commissioner and Vice Chair of this as well. So I just wanted to recognize that because I'm certain you will not. <laughs> Thank you, Commissioner Preston. I appreciate that. Um, all right. Now, Madam Clerk, can you please call item number five? Yes, item number five is a presentation on public banking. For members of the public who wish to provide comment on this item, you should call 415-655-0001 now. Meeting ID 2497-418-9681, then pound and pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak. And the system prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand. Please wait until we call for public comment on this item, and the system indicates that you have been unmuted. And that will be your cue to begin your comments. Madam Vice Chair. Thank you, Madam Clerk, colleagues, and members of the public. I am so excited to introduce the next presenter. Uh, Thomas Marois is a political economist at the University of London and is the author of Public Banks, Decarbonization, Definancialization, and Democratization. Thomas will have 10 minutes for presenting, and we will allow for questions afterwards, as well as public comments. But with no further ado, I will hand it off to Thomas. And I believe he needs access to share his screen. Yes, please. And thank you very it. much. Wonderful. <laughs> um, <clears throat> let me share my screen here. And uh, as I'm doing that, um, oh, now where do I? Okay, uh, and thank you very much, Jackie, for the invitation, and and to uh, uh, Connie Chan as well for you know this long-standing invitation to to speak with San Francisco and with Labco. Uh, it is, let's say, a unique and a and a and particular pleasure you know to be here with you today and to be in a, a a room of people who are very strong advocates of public banking and are working towards creating a new public bank and. Uh, you know that is uh, really something I think special and important, and I'm, I'm, I hope that my discussion today adds to that and contributes something um, to this really sort of huge uh, historic initiative that you're undertaking. So well done and congratulations to everyone in this room. Um, the the talk I want to you know I, I'm going to present to you on, on my book um, and as as Jackie kindly introduced and cover, you know, try to cover some of the main topics in, in 10 minutes. And the way I'd like to proceed in a sense is moving fairly quickly over some high level topics. And then I want to pause on a couple of elements that I think are more important and to treat this really as a, a provocation um, and as an opportunity to share some ideas and and in essence, an invitation uh, to those in this room and, and, and watching uh, from outside of the, the virtual room to engage in the topic and, and to follow up on certain questions uh, you know, in this meeting and, and afterwards. 
So what I, I want to do, first of all, is just kind of paint a larger picture of the world of public banks and then get into some of my key topics uh, that, I, that I look at in the book. And the first thing I, I you know, the, really the big point that I want to emphasize is that, you know, public banks are nothing new and they're not particularly niche uh, anymore. There are over 900 that are still in existence around the world and, you know, more coming about in places like San Francisco and, and but elsewhere in the world. I'm from Canada and, uh, you know, they created one in 2017, the Canada Infrastructure Bank, province of British Columbia just created a, a new infrastructure or investment fund as well. And so it's, you know, a burgeoning world and they're absolutely massive. Um, there are over $49 trillion in combined assets in public banks worldwide. But they are very underutilized asset. We've done very little to sort of capture public banks for the common good or for the public interest. And so it's very inspiring to see from the ground up uh, an opportunity to begin doing that. But it's also important to take a moment to just sort of remind ourselves that there is nothing essentially good about something being public, that a public bank, for the mere fact that it is public, doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to, to work in the public good or in the public interest. And so in the book, I develop a theory, a dynamic theory of public banks, and I argue that we have to look at, first and foremost, the functions of what a bank does. And step back for a second, understand whatever a bank, public bank does, its functions, those are contested. They're both you know, struggled over by public and private interests, but they're really shaped by society, by the community in which that bank exists and persists. So social forces shape the meaning or the functions of a bank. And that, in essence, is what gives meaning to what a public bank is. Not it's simply that it's owned by the public sector, but how people make and remake public banks. And we really need to then think about the functions as a primary definitive element of, of a public bank. And I came to that looking at, you know, really many global different, globally shaping or, or different examples of public banks, let's say, around the world that sort of inform this, this larger theory. And I think my role here today and, and in general is I, I bring a quite global view to this question of public banks. I've been studying for you know quite a number of years now and written a book on it. And in it, I, I explore three key themes, decarbonization, definancialization, and democratization. And the key point about decarbonization is just to remind ourselves that simply this wasn't the way that publics have always been. They certainly are not necessarily advocates of decarbonization, but we can look at examples like the China Development Bank or the North Investment Bank that have begun to significantly fund um, you know, green transition initiatives, but also in contradictory ways. China Development Bank, hands down, the largest investor of solar panels, while at the same time, you know, paving over half the face of, of Asia. The Nordic Investment Bank, until recently, had a fairly contradictory policy about, you know, it was aggressively sort of funding decarbonized energy, but at the same time, you know, a fair amount of carbonizing projects. And so it's important when you're thinking about a new public bank to really align them. And, and there's quite a few examples as well, as well of new institutions sort of saying, we will simply not fund anything that carbonizes um, our environment. The definancialization examples in the book that I look at are the Bank of North Dakota, which you're familiar with, and then the Indian Bank, the, the National Bank of Agricultural and Rural Development. And just two examples of that important capacity of public banks to take otherwise 
globally mobile and, and fickle flows of, of money and capital and through that institution, fix it in your community and help that money stay in North Dakota or stay in the rural areas of India. And that's the function of these two banks in many ways. And their public banks are ideally located to do that and are specialists at doing that. And you know, rather than financialization, where you know the bank accelerates flows of capital, and you saw what happened in 2008 and 2009 with the global financial crisis. The third major topic that I explore in the book is this question of democratization or governance. And I point to two key examples, the German KFW, which has a 37 you know, member board with representatives from trade unions, from the government, from ministries, but also regular uh, representatives of, of the public, political representatives, as well as small, medium-sized enterprises and so on. So specified representatives from the community. And then on the other one, uh, probably the most, certainly hands down the most democratic bank in the world that I've ever studied or, or know of is the Banco Popular in Costa Rica. And I wanna just sort of emphasize in this particular example that it is you know, a very democratic and inclusive uh, model of governing a public bank. And something I would recommend if, if San Francisco hasn't already looked at it, um, to look at what it's doing. And let me tell you why. You know, it's it was bank created in 1969. It is a bank owned and controlled by, quote unquote, the working class of Costa Rica. But over the last 40 or 50 years, it's developed a, a very strong representative governance model. So in this particular bank, its board, its national board of governance is not the highest decision making form in the bank. It's in fact what's called the Assembly of Working Men and Women, which is a form of 290 individuals selected from 10 different social sectors from across Costa Rica, who then um, you know, become the main body that sets direction and holds that institution to account. The, the uh, assembly then elects four members that go to the national board of directors that sit alongside three members from the from the government of Costa Rica. So there's a mix of community members and government members on its board. But why, why I like this model too is because you see in this institution that it is decided to privilege um, important elements of, of, of existence and social reproduction. So it is by law governed according to gender equity. So every major decision-making form from the assembly to the board of directors must have minimum 50% men, 50% women. And to hold that accountable, they've created what's called the Permanent Women's Commission, which is in the middle uh, image there, <clears throat> where the, the, that commission holds the assembly and the national, board of account, the national board of directors accountable to ensuring gender equity in every major decision-making body. We can think of this kind of model, and I do when I, in other discussions, not only in terms of, of, of women and gender equity, but we can think about it in terms of reconciliation with indigenous peoples, about including commissions for reconciliation, or including permanent commissions for reparations in black and brown communities, to bring in the expertise and a, and a formal body that holds the institution to account. Uh, for the values that that public bank or institution wants to pursue in society and to emphasize that they must be held accountable. That's, you know, thinking this dynamic theory, it's not simply because it's public it's going to do it, but because it's developed forms and mechanisms, rules and laws to hold it. So this is formalized in 2002 uh, 
democratization law in Costa Rica. So that bank is, is based in public law and it has a law called the democratization law. I know I only have a couple of minutes here left, but just sort of thinking forward and pointing, I wanted to just show you another example, the Council of Europe Development Bank. And to emphasize that things like having an explicitly social mandate are not only possible, but exist. And so in this case, you have the bank funding micro, small, medium-sized enterprises in the Czech Republic, funding social infrastructure like health and education facilities in France. You've got it funding public schools in Lithuania, funding cooperative health services in Spain, and also social housing in Germany. In fact, social housing is really one of the emphasis, like historic sort of, you know, most important projects of the Council of Europe Development Bank, which now it's doing alongside a green mandate. So it's doing both social housing that is also environmentally uh, sustainable and uh, you know, low carbon. If I were to offer some sort of closing advice on the future of a public bank and its possibility to persist and, and, and stay past the political cycle in in San Francisco, I would suggest that community really becomes the anchor of the bank. You can see around the world, even through the waves of privatization through the 1980s and 1990s, that those public banks that had substantive commitments and connections to community were not privatized. They remained, they persisted, and they grew in many cases. I would say we're at a state and a time in our societies where democracy is non-negotiable. We have to find ways to make our public institutions more democratic, more inclusive, more equitable. And when you put those two together, community and democracy, you find a way of institutionalizing these new entities as credible. And once they become credible in the eyes of community and democratically, they will be able to become self-sustaining over time um, and through political cycles and through things like financial crises where there will be challenges to the public bank. If you don't have that connection to community, if those banks are not accountable, then you're going to find challenges to the existence of the public bank and to its very persistence, which is something in Canada, we're seeing right now uh, with the Canada Infrastructure Bank, where there's already calls after five years uh, to to shut it down um, without sort of rethinking its ability to be democratic or to impact communities. Thank you. Thank you so much, so much, We're now going to, before going to public comment, we're going to, I'm going to open the floor to my colleagues for any discussion or questions. So colleagues, please put your name in the chat if you would like to ask any questions. I'll go ahead and ask mine um, while we wait, but, oh, I see Commissioner Singh, go ahead. Hi, I know I uh, actually, I'm still sort of ruminating on my question actually, Commissioner Fielder, so if you wanna go first. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Um, my question was, could you speak a little bit to um, financial sustainability and profitability? You know, there's a lot of, um, a lot of us want to make sure that a public bank in San Francisco can be financially stable and just wondering if, what, what's that been looking like around the world? Sure. My, my first comment, you know, and the way you look at this depends a lot on context um, and 
and the priorities of the community. I would say that there, you know, in reality, most public banks, they certainly don't have a profit maximizing mandate there. And so financial sustainability is defined differently. It's defined in terms of earning enough returns, returns to simply pay their staff, keep upkeep on the buildings and so on. And then any profits they make are then often channeled back into the reserves to extend lending. Where public banks have targeted or do target profit maximization, uh, then you, you find problems. Um, that's when they become less credible in communities and they are often privatized. Uh, so the way you, you know, achieve financial stabi stability then is, is really about, you know, and, and you, you'll see in public banks that typically they're not paying exorbitant fees or, or sorry, you know, wages, um, but they're, you know, making long-term low-cost patient loans to the community and they're able to do so and this is you know one thing you know i don't know in the case of san francisco but they're able to access fairly cheap or cheaper sources of capital through the kind of guarantees or the the foundation of the bank in that community in the government that sort of enables them to access cheaper forms of capital or in the ways that they sort of draw in um deposit not necessarily deposits but sources of capital from the community and so it's you know minimizing costs about not taking on high-risk ventures that will cause you know losses to the bank but focusing on its mandates and 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 on you know supplying cheap low-cost long-term appropriate financing to the community uh, and i would give you examples for example the nordic examples of their municipally focused banks some of them have been in existence for 120 years without a single loan loss. So, you know, uh, zero risk in terms of, of their capacity. Um, and we've, we're actually conducting a number of studies on these right now. Some of them will be coming out over the summer and we've got another four-year project expanding our study of public banks worldwide. So there'll be a lot, of, lot more data coming forth on this. Awesome, thank you. Commissioner Singh. Yes, and apologies in advance, I'm a bit under the weather today, so I don't have my camera on, but um, I wanted to ask, I, I, first of all, I wanted to say thank you, this has been an incredibly informative presentation, and um, one thing that crossed my mind, particularly when I was thinking about all of these governance structures that you mentioned um, for public banks outside of the United States, and I understand that this is kind of a different, a difficult question to answer when we don't really have, we have one public bank in the United States, essentially. But um, in your in your research, have you seen, um, even if it's not for a public bank, um, have you seen or, or have ideas on governance structures that maybe you have seen for like institutions or public or cooperative community-based institutions in, in the United States that you think could be potentially applied to a public bank model in a place such as San Francisco? In the U.S. Um, mm, let, me, let me say yes and no. <laughs> and let me say yes, because I think part of the Bank of North Dakota is, is can be an, a first step in terms of governance. And let me just explain it this way. There are models of governance. So in Canada, and, and in the UK as well, their preference is to have an independent, politically independent governing board that are made up of um, members who represent a specific expertise in finance, but no specific connection 
or requirement to reflect the community. So there'll be risk managers and, and you know, finance person A, B, and C. And no requirements around gender or race or, or anything like that. Okay, I think that's the wrong model. Where you can look to Bank of North Dakota is that, you know, they have their three commissioners, if that's the right word, I can't remember, that are specified on the board of North Dakota, but then that's it. <laughs> they don't have any other community representation. So that actually, in a sense, models like the German KFW, where by law they have, um, you know, two ministers from um, from the economy and from development and energy, something like that, specified in law to be on the board, plus, you know, a range of other political representatives. But but where they add in is they say by law you must have a representative SMEs on the board, you must have a representative of cooperatives on the board, and of labor unions, and of um, other banks in the region. So that's so that's why I say you could take the Bank of North Dakota model, because I think, you know, you do have to have that political connection, not to not to determine what the bank does, but to align it with your community. And, and, and you, you know, we have to connect it to government. I think it is a false start to say that a public bank can be separate or in fact should be legally separate from the government. That creates a, a false firewall um, that you know, that's, that doesn't enable the bank to really connect and, and work with the development priorities of one's community. But that has to be balanced with community representative, representation, accountability, and, and forceful transparency. So yes, the Bank of North Dakota model, plus, you know, and maybe this would be something you would see in the credit unions or cooperative banks, where you would have specified community uh, members on, on the board. Um, and I would add, this is a problem in Canada with the Canadian Infrastructure Bank. They've gone down the model of, of having no connection to the government on their board and is creating enormous problems to the extent that now they're calling for that bank to be closed because nobody sees a connection to its community. Got it. Thank you. Commissioner Marr. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for, for all of your your work and, and research and, and sharing sharing you know the summary of it with us. Um, this is super helpful, you know, for us as we're at this moment of really moving forward with um, creating the framework and 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 plan for the public bank here in San Francisco, which is I think going to be so um, impactful, hopefully nationally in the U.S. as as um, as a model. Um, and um, I. I guess I, I had a question around. Um, well, I really appreciate your emphasis on democratization, as, you know, as a key aspect of, of the the examples um, globally, and, and and the importance of community um, accountability and, and community genuine sort of community um, um, interests reflected in the public bank um, through through the structures, and um, um, and I was just thinking. For San Francisco, you know, we're, this is very much of a local effort here, and you know, San Francisco is not not even a very big town, you know, in, in population-wise. Um, and but the the examples that you cited um, from mostly globally, but even North Dakota, they seem to be larger. The scale of the, of the public bank, um, the geographically at least, seem seem larger. Like, is I was wondering if you could just speak to that. I mean, I think for us, you know, the mm -hmm. fact. We're very much of a. This is coming from a grassroots movement, you know that that Vice Chair Fielder and, and so many others, and, and and Commissioner Preston have played a key role. And so there's a great opportunity for us to, to be um, to ensure that our public bank is community 
accountable to our communities and reflecting the needs. But are the the other examples mostly other examples like national or or or, or regional? And if you could yeah, just, I, I, I appreciate your question, and <clears throat> I think you're right in and in, in terms of thinking what is the right you know, or, or questioning the extent to these other models, do they apply to San Francisco, you know, the KFW you know, has hundreds of trillions of dollars in assets? And my answer, you know, partly, you know, I, the, it, it is about thinking, as someone said earlier, outside the box. So the default is to go for a depoliticized board on regardless of the size of the institution, and, and that would be the easy street. And so I want to, in a, when I talk, in a sense, inspire uh, those people who are at the forefront of creating this new institution to think, well, okay, obviously it's not the same. How can we think about it? And and I wouldn't say, you know, go for the gold standard sort of Banco Popular model on day one, but to have that vision in mind that as this institution, you know, gets its institutional footings on ground and is moving forward to have some vision of, of what kind of connection you want that institution to have to the community. And it and it can't simply be about, you know, sending out an annual report once a year. Um, you know, what is it about bringing people into the decision-making framework of that bank to make it accountable and to be, you know, uh, responsible to your community? But I think you're also in a place where you're going to be inspirational to other cities in the U.S. and and internationally as well. Let, but you know, in terms of the scale question, so I was quite involved in British Columbia to to the north of you, with their new fund, the NBC um, Fund Investment Corporation, which is about five hundred million dollars Canadian, four hundred thousand U.S. Not an enormous institution, and and they went the very standard board where they just picked seven people who are all very good people and wonderful, but there's no legal requirement in that institution for, the, for it to represent any community when there are very important Indigenous and First Nations community in that province that are going to be impacted by it. Cooperatives are going to be impacted by that institution. There's no direct connection really to the government per se. So they, you know, my advice to them and my, my policy advice to them was you really need to rethink your governance. Um, and you know, hopefully they will. Uh, you know, and so partly the question is not scale, it's intention and it doesn't have to be 37 members like the kfw it doesn't have to be 290 members like the banco popular which is not a huge bank like it, i mean in relative terms it, it has like it, it's smaller than the bank of north dakota in assets terms but it's you know it, it still manages that sort of orientation um so it's about visioning, I would say, and and commitment to something like that in the future. And I hope that answers your question sufficiently. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much, colleagues. And going to move on to see if any members of the public wish to speak on this item. Yes, my, Madam Vice Chair. Um, Jaime is checking to see if we have any callers who are in the queue. If you have not already done so, please press star three to be added to the speaker line. For those already on hold, please continue to wait until the system indicates that you have been unmuted. Um, and it does appear we have a few callers in the queue. Jaime, can you put the first caller forward? Hi, 
Hi, my name is Terry Saul, and my pronouns are they, them. I have two comments. Um, one, uh, in order for these meetings to continue to be democratic, inclusive, and equitable, um, it would be great to continue providing translation services, um, including ASL. Um, and then a question about representation, um, community representation. When you speak about connecting with government, does that include local tribal governments, whether or not those tribes are federally recognized? And does it include representation for the rights of nature, such as the whole bay? Um, all the water in the bay falls outside the local city and county jurisdiction here, for example. Um, just something to consider. Thank you. Thank you so much for your comments. Can we have the next caller, please? Hello, commissioners. Uh, my name is Rick Gerling, and I've been working with the San Francisco Public Bank Coalition for a number of years trying to get this bank set up. And it's exciting to see that we're getting closer and closer. Um, and uh, I wanted to, uh, to thoroughly agree with your point about having connections to the community. Uh, I think that's essential, and that's what would differentiate this bank from all of the other banks, is that we would have people running the bank who actually care about their community. And, uh, and I think that would be the, the protection that we would have. And I, I would just like to uh, reinforce that uh, feeling that you had said. Thank you. Thank you so much for your comments. Uh, do we have any other callers in the queue? Uh, that does appear to be the last caller, Madam Vice Chair. All right, thank you, Madam Clerk. Thank you to the members of the public for uh, sharing your comments. Seeing that there are no other public speakers, public comment is now closed. And thank you so much to Dr. Thomas Forois for making yourself available and presenting on this. This was extremely helpful. Even it's great to see it in person as well. Um, so thank you so much. There is no action to take on this matter. So we will be moving on. Madam Clerk, can you please call item number six? Yes, item number six is a community choice aggregation activities report, including the enrollment and service statistics, customer programs, integrated resource plan implementation, and firm clean resources. Members of the public who wish to provide comment on this item should call 415-655-0001, meeting ID 2497-418-9681, then pound and pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak and a system prompt to indicate that you have raised your hand. Please wait until we call for public comment on this item and the system indicates that you have been unmuted and that will be your cue to begin your comments. Madam Vice Chair. Thank you, Madam Clerk. All right, now we are going to hear from Clean Power SF Executive Director, Mike Hyams. Mr. Director Hyams, you'll have 10 minutes for your presentation. Thank you, Vice Chair Fielder, and good morning, fellow commissioners. I'm Mike Himes. I'm the director of the Clean Power SF program for the SFPC's Power Enterprise. I do have um, some slides to bring up. Do that right now. Can you see those okay? 
Yes, we can we can see them. Okay, great. Thank you. Okay, for my report today, um, I'll cover our usual uh, Clean Power SF program enrollment and service statistics. Uh, I'll provide an update on our customer programs work, um, as well as our work to uh, procure new resources to support our uh, integrated resource plan implementation. Uh, and finally, I'll share some information about our firm clean resource procurement work that we're doing with the California Community Power Agency, uh, the CCA Joint Powers Agency that Clean Power SF is a member of. Clean Power SF continues to successfully serve its customers and enrollment and participation in the program remains stable. Since our last report on these statistics in March, We've seen a slight uptick in our opt-out rate, which has brought uh, the rounded rate to 4.3%. Um, we've also seen uh, continued enrollment in our super green 100% uh, renewable energy product. Uh, we now have uh, more than 8,000 customer accounts enrolled to receive super green, uh, which is up from enrollment levels earlier in the year. Um, and we also continue to see commercial customers sign up for super green. So our super green sales are now more than 6% of our total annual Clean Power SF sales and growing, um, even though the accounts enrolled only represent 2.1% uh, total. Okay, let's talk a little bit about our Clean Power SF customer programs. This is a slide I've been uh, presenting to LAFCO each meeting with the programs that Clean Power SF is currently offering and offerings that are under development. The first six programs listed here are all operating. This month, we're commencing our annual true up process for customers that have solar that are participating in Clean Power SF's net energy metering program. This is the first, this is the time um, of the year when we evaluate whether participating customers have generated more solar power than they've consumed over the previous 12 months. If they have done that, they are net producers and they can elect to receive a check from Clean Power SF to compensate them for that power. Our rates have averaged two to three times what PG&E has offered customers under their net metering program. So it's attractive. We're also preparing for the start of our next peak day pricing season, which will commence on July 1st. If you recall, this is our demand response program for large commercial customers, and it pays uh, participants to reduce their electricity demand during the hours of 4 to 9 p.m. in July through October on days when demand on the state, state's power grid is expected to be highest. The program helps the grid remain reliable and reduces carbon emissions that spike during these hours when gas-fueled uh, electric generation comes online to help meet the state's evening peak electricity demand. We also continue to make good progress on developing new programs. I wanted to highlight one that I've added to the table for this meeting, which is EV Charge SF. EV Charge SF SF is a new SFPUC program under development for Clean Power SF customers that will provide financial incentives to new residential and commercial construction projects to make their buildings EV ready for the future and compliant with San Francisco's EV readiness ordinance. Through EV Charge SF, Clean Power SF will help new residential and commercial construction programs 
exceed the minimum code requirements, defraying the cost to install certain EV charging equipment, and providing technical assistance to projects. We're targeting a launch of this program uh, for later this year uh, or early in 2023. And we'll continue to keep LAFCO updated on our progress there. Um, in addition, um, beginning on June 1st, uh, Clean, Clean Power SF customers that are eligible for the CARE or FARA discount programs and living in disadvantaged communities, state-defined disadvantaged communities, will be able to enroll in Clean Power SF Super Green Saver Program, which provides 100% renewable energy to the, to the customers in addition to a 20% bill discount. Uh, so that's, that's uh, going to be happening on June 1st. Um, we'll be welcoming enrollments uh, starting on that date. And then last, I wanted to mention that um, we're in the middle of developing a request for proposals for our food service energy efficiency program, which will provide incentive payments to support energy efficiency measures for food service nonprofits and businesses. Uh, this program uh, uh, is participating in the California Public Utilities Commission energy efficiency funding um, and was authorized a budget uh, by the CPUC of four and a half million over a three year period. Uh, we're targeting um, commencement of that program in uh, 2023. Okay, let's shift to our renewable energy and energy storage procurement activities. <clears throat> uh, again, here's a, a table that should look familiar. Uh, uh, we've been using this table to walk through these items uh, in these meetings. Um, the first line item here is the long duration energy storage procurement work that we've been conducting with California Community Power. We've discussed that effort at LAFCO over the past few months, and I wanted to say I'm very happy uh, to report that with the approval of the Board of Supervisors and the Mayor this month, the SFPUC has now executed agreements to participate in two new long-duration energy storage projects with California Community Power, and that puts Clean Power SF in a position to comply with CPUC procurement mandates. We're continuing to explore additional long-duration energy storage procurement with CalCCA, but with a focus on other new emerging technologies. So uh, stay tuned for more information on that from us. The second procurement effort underway with California Community Power is Firm Clean Energy Resources, and I'll be getting uh, to that in just a moment. The third procurement uh, we've been working on is our own utility scale renewable energy and energy storage solicitation that was issued by the SFPUC. That effort is targeting procurement of at least 110 megawatts of new renewable power supply and 175 megawatts of four hour energy storage. We're now in negotiations with shortlisted bidders from this solicitation and I hope to have contracts completed this summer. We will keep LAFCO uh, informed as of this effort as it develops. The same goes for our uh, disadvantaged communities green tariff solicitation. Um, that's to supply our Super Green Saver product that I mentioned just a moment ago with power from new renewable energy facilities. Um, we're starting contract negotiations from that effort and are targeting final uh, contract completion during the summer as well. Um, and finally, our team continues to work on the design and other related uh, RFP materials for our local renewable energy storage solicitation. Uh, and we're working to issue that solicitation later this year. Um, 
I also wanted to mention the upcoming IRP um, that we're preparing for. And we're currently preparing a report for our commission uh, on the IRP and, uh, excuse me, I mean the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission in June, and uh, are also planning engagements with interested parties to discuss the IRP and electrification work that same month. As we've done in the past, we will invite uh, the LAFCO executive officer and commissioners to those engagements if you're interested in participating. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about firm clean energy resource procurement. And this is the last segment of my um, presentation for you. Um, so last June, the California PUC issued a decision mandating that retail power providers under its jurisdiction procure new electric system resources for statewide reliability. It was this order that directed Clean Power SF to procure the long duration energy storage resources uh, that I, I just mentioned. Um, additionally, the CPUC ordered providers to procure new electric generation resources with at least an 80% capacity factor with zero on-site emissions or that otherwise qualify under the state's renewable portfolio standard program. The goal of this mandate is to increase the amount of clean renewable energy supplies serving California that can operate 24 hours a day with a high utilization of the resources capacity. Examples of qualifying resource types are geothermal and biomass energy resources. For comparison, solar resources have capacity factors between 20 and 30%, so uh, much lower than what is required to comply with this order. Clean Power SF's share of the CPUC procurement order is 15.5 megawatts, um, and those uh, megawatts are required to become operational by June 1st of 2026. Uh, and as we presented to LAFCO before, Clean Power SF participated in a joint request for offers through California Community Power to procure up to 200 megawatts of these resources as a group. Here's a summary of the nine um, uh, California Community Power members that are participating in this effort. Most of the Bay Area is represented, uh, as are the CCAs on the north and central coasts as well as Valley Electric, uh, which serves the area around the city of Davis. And here is a summary of the schedule. Uh, you can see that we're at the spot with the red arrow uh, and nearing completion. The solicitation team is completing negotiations now and plans to bring a con uh, contract recommendations to the California Community Power Board at the end of the month. Uh, if the, the board approves these agreements, uh, then member agencies that wish to participate will pursue approval from their own governing bodies. So that concludes my presentation. Uh, sorry for going a little bit long. I'm happy to take any questions you may have. Thank you, Director Himes. Fellow commissioners, uh, please put your name in the chat if you would like to ask any questions or share comments. While I wait for some of my colleagues, I would just like to ask, um, in the in this year's IRP, um, obviously this is a process that happens every two years. Um, since 2020, there has been, because of the pandemic and the economy, I understand that there's been a lot of issues with supply chain and 
and also obviously inflation. And I'm just wondering if there's going to be an analysis about supply chain issues affecting timelines for projects coming online and how that might affect our meeting our climate goals. I understand we have a accelerated case to meet that ensures that we would meet 100% of our energy would be greenhouse gas free by 2025. Um, so just my question is if the IRP will include an analysis of how supply chain issues are affecting our timeline and also how drought is, is affecting our, our energy as well. Uh, thank you, uh, Vice Chair Fielder. Um, fantastic question. And the answer is yes, the IRP will include, um, I, I would say, a, a consideration of these issues um, and uh, uh, will bring sort of up to date our um, understanding of the, the market and regulatory landscape that we're dealing with and environmental um, circumstances. Uh, we'll definitely look to um, uh, different hydro conditions um, in our forecast of energy supply and account for uh, drought conditions in those projections. Um, and uh, absolutely delays to uh, the development of projects caused by you know, a number of issues that you alluded to. Um, there's uh, challenges with interconnecting to the grid. Um, there are, as you mentioned, delays to projects. So we'll absolutely be looking into that and making sure that we're setting a realistic schedule for new projects. Um, and we'll address how, you know, how we're gonna meet the 2025 goal which will really be a combination of new resources that Clean Power SF has under contract and that are getting constructed with existing resources that are already operating. Um, so I hope that that answers your question. Thank you, Director Himes. Commissioner Marr. Thank you, uh, Vice Chair Fielder. Um, Director Himes, I just had a question around the about the new cut the new the the customer programs you know some of them are ongoing some are new um and it's just great to see um clean power sf sort of moving really innovative customer programs um and but at in the budget committee yeah board of supervisors budget committee yesterday we we had an initial hearing on the department of the environment's budget and there was a good amount of discussion about um funding or resources in the budget to support implementation of our climate action plan, you know, the, the updated one and, and more with more aggressive goals, particularly around getting to net zero emissions in, in build, building operations and transportation. So I think the customer programs that you listed out, you know, are all helping to that. But I, I guess my question is to what extent are you coordinating, um, Clean Power SF coordinating with SFB and, and these different customer programs, you know, are they, part of the climate action plan, um, yeah. Yes, thank you, Commissioner Gordon. Um, the short answer to your question is yes, absolutely. Um, in fact, the SFPUC is a responsible agency in implementing the energy portion of the climate action plan and was a co-drafter of uh, that section of the plan. So we're, we're deeply involved. Um, and all of the programs that we're running and considering running are uh, being evaluated, you know, through the lens of uh, decarbonization goal, equity, 
you know, the, the, the issues that the city has identified as priorities, um, uh, resiliency, um, so, uh, and I, you know, I know this issue of you know, how do we fund this uh, major transformation is an ongoing discussion. Um, I've participated in some initial discussions with the Department of Environment and um, started, you know, considerations of what, what Clean Power SF could do uh, in that space. Um, so it's ongoing, um, but I think it's also, it's really exciting. It's an exciting uh, time and um, you know, we're, we're really pushing a lot of change, a lot of positive change, and um, we're going to have to figure out how to pay for it, <laughs> um, which might relate to that last uh, se segment of your meeting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And just even just for around building decarbonization and some of the customer programs that you have, you know, are important sort of initial um, steps towards supporting, incentivizing building decarbonization. Um, you know, that that's an issue that I've been focused on the, the budget and legislative analyst office helped to do some analysis on what it would take and, and really cost to fully decarbonize all of our existing residential and commercial buildings. And it's going to be in the billions of dollars. And um, so we're going to need some revenue to really create those incentives and, and, and to, to really kick, kickstart that um, to meet the urgency of the, um, you know, the climate emergency. Or, crisis. Um, I, so for your, those, all those different customer programs, including the, the new the new one that's heat pump um, subsidies or rebates, um, I'm just curious what the total budget is that for, for Clean Power SF for all of those different customer programs that are all sort of incentivizing um, clean energy or, or conservation um, in, yeah. Because I, I think we're going to need tens of millions, if not hundreds of, you know, hundred million plus, you know, to really move just the building decarbonization um, work forward soon. So, and it seems like right now SFPC is really the, the only um, place, you know, our city where there's some initial incentives and, and programs. But I, I, I'm sorry, my, my question is what's the budget for the... The customer programs and then what's the source of the funding is that all from repair yeah everything well actually um most of what we're doing through clean power SF is through our repair funds um the exceptions to that thus far are um well they're funds they're they're a different set of repair funds still repair funds but they're repair funds that are collected on the pg e bill and administered by the california puc so these are not part of the um, Clean Power SF's portion of the bill. It's uh, really collected on the distribution portion of the bill. So uh, an example of that is the energy efficiency for food services program that I mentioned, uh, that four and a half million dollars over three years. All of that is funded um, through these public purpose funds from the California PUC. Um, also the disadvantaged communities uh, green tariff program, the, the super green saver program, the, um, uh, the what we call the above market costs, so the costs for that program that exceed Clean Power SF's revenue from its rates, um, because that co the, the costs of offering that program are more costly, those are also recovered through these same public purpose funds. Um, so that's an that's a, a external source of funds. Um, to at least to Clean Power SF that we're utilizing right now. 
Um, but as for Clean Power SF uh, funding, our program's budget is around a million and a half right now um, per year. It's fairly modest, um, but it's also important to point out that Clean Power SF is still a new program. Um, and its principal focus of delivering electric supply um, still uh, requires the bulk of its budget. Um, and so uh, it's, it's something that we're working to grow and you know, certainly look forward to talking with you and, and, and this uh, commission about uh, you know, how we can expand um, our scope. Thank you. Thank you, Director Hans. And if there are no other questions for my colleagues. Madam Clerk, can we see if there are any public commenters? Yes, Madam Vice Chair, Jaime is checking to see if we have any callers who are in the queue. Um, if you have not already done so, please press star three to be added to the speaker line. For those already on hold, please continue to wait until the system indicates that you have been unmuted. We are checking to see if there are any callers and there are no callers, Madam Vice Chair. Thank you, Madam Clerk. And seeing no public speakers, public comment is now closed. Thank you so much, Director Himes, for your presentation. Look forward to engaging more on everything you've talked about here. And there's no action to take on this matter. So Madam Clerk, can you please call item number seven? Yes, item number seven is a report on electric bike program for app-based delivery workers. Members of the public who wish to provide comment on this item should call 415-655-0001, meeting ID 2497-418-9681, then pound to pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak, and a system prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand. Please wait until we call for public comment, and the system indicates that you have been unmuted, and that will be your cue to begin your comments. Madam Vice Chair. Thank you, Madam Clerk. All right, we will now hear from Mr. Lowell Chu, the Energy and Clean Transportation Program Manager for the Department of the Environment. You will have 10 minutes for your presentation with time for questions afterwards and, of course, public comment. So please take it away. Thank you, Madam Vice Chair Fielder. Good morning, uh, fellow commissioners and members of the public. My name is Lowell Chu. I am the Energy Program Manager at the Department of the Environment. I do have a slide deck um, that I hope Director Pollock can share. And there it is. Great. Thank you so much. Um, I'm really uh, thrilled by the opportunity to provide a brief report on a new program designed to get app-based workers making deliveries on electric bicycles or e-bikes instead of cars and pickup trucks. Next slide, please. This new program is oriented, um, is originated from research conducted during the summer of 2020 by UC Santa Cruz researchers and commissioned by this very commission. The survey focused on app-based ride hailing and food and grocery delivery workers in San Francisco underscoring the financial vulnerability of these workers in the gig economy and the coronavirus has made their situations much worse. The pandemic has made um, visible a range of essential workers um, who in normal times are often ignored or taken for granted. And one category of these essential workers that has gained particular attention um, in this moment and in this report are on-demand meal and grocery delivery workers. These workers, along with on-demand ride-hailing workers, drivers, 
who fill a similar role in providing transportation services. Right now are tremendously vulnerable, both to the pandemic and the current economic um, um, impacts. So survey findings were compiled into a report titled on demand and on the edge, ride hailing and delivery workers in San Francisco. And the slide you see before you is the cover of such report. Next slide, please. So within the report, there were several recommendations and findings. Um, I really want to highlight one that was the impetus of this e-bike delivery program. So um, and what you see on the slide here, 25% of surveyed ride hailing drivers said yes or maybe they would switch to doing delivery by e-bike if they were given an incentive to purchase one. So 25% of ride hailing drivers. For delivery workers, the percentage is much higher. Almost 70% said yes or maybe they would switch to an e-bike, switch from their cars in the pickup if given a chance to um, get on an e-bike or receive an incentive to purchase one. So based on those findings, this commission recommended that the city, the Department of the Environment, or the SFMTA, explore an e-bike rebate program that would benefit not only workers whose income depends on a bicycle, but all San Franciscans. So um, this commission made a recommendation to um, implement an e-bike rebate program based on these results. Next slide, please. And the timing couldn't be more perfect. You see, when the report was released back in August 2020, the Department of Environment was also preparing an application for funding for the California Energy Commission, the CEC. This funding opportunity is called the Electric Vehicle Ready Community Challenge. It's a competitive grant for local governments to advance and accelerate low-carbon electrified modes of transportation the CEC ran this challenge in two phases. So the first phase was 2017 and 2019. That phase encompassed developing a blueprint or planning document. What are you going to do if you, act, you were given the money? Within this blueprint, the department specifically defined electric vehicles as more than just cars. Electric vehicles include bicycles and scooters. So this enabled implementation funding, future implementation funding to cover more than just cars and trucks. From 2022 and 2024, that's phase two, another round of competitive solicitations for up to two and a half million dollars to implement some of the actions identified in the blueprint. So in partnership with this commission, the MTA, the Public Utilities Commission, and with support from app-based delivery companies, the team fully integrated the e-bike program into the CEC application, phase two application. And I'm happy to report that in January, the CEC awarded the city $2.4 million to implement the actions we identified in phase two. Next slide, please. So here's a quick summary of all the things that we're gonna do with the 2.4 million. So um, we are going to uh, build an online mapping tool um, that's going to raise awareness for electric vehicles and their benefits. The next thing we do um, is going to be going to have an EV ombudsperson uh, that's going to be a single point of contact to facilitate all electric vehicle related projects in San Francisco. We're also going to build a charging hub in a disadvantaged community. And finally, and here's the topic for today, the electric bike program for app-based worker. Next slide, please. 
So when we're developing the program, our goals were simple. We're guided by these following goals. First, the program must be equitable. The program must ensure that all participants are set up for success, meaning that the e-bikes are carefully assembled, they're tested and maintained, they're outfitted with luggage and luggage racks, and the operators are provided with uh, helmets, rain gear, even insurance. Second, it must be scalable. We want to scale this program up, scale it beyond food deliveries to include light parcel and package deliveries. We also want this program to set an example to entice perhaps the private sector to expand e-bike rentals for commercial applications. Thirdly, it should be replicable. We will be fully documenting all aspects of this program to enable other cities to replicate this program um, at, at their locations. Next slide, please. So again, this program is supposed to entice app-based food delivery workers away from their cars and onto the bikes. So to do that, we need a comprehensive program and we're going to need partners. So Grid Alternatives and the San Francisco Bicycle Coalition are our co-applicants. Grid Alternatives will set up, store, and implement the day-to-day -day activities of this um, um, pilot program. The San Francisco Bicycle Coalition will provide the safety and operational training to the workers to ensure that they can fully take advantage of the e-bikes, how to charge them, how to operate them safely in city streets, and how to um, secure them. Um, and this commission is also a partner, um, and uh, LAFCO will provide as-needed technical assistance to the administration and implementation of the program. The total program budget is $559,000. We're going to have two cohorts of 30 workers total. We're going to have 35 bikes. Five of those bikes will be on standby in the event of a breakdown, a theft, or an accident. We want to quickly replace it. The program, as I mentioned, the program participants, they're set up for success. Then they will receive all the gear, the training, insurance. And at the end of the program, they will um, get to own these e-bikes. Uh, we are going to ask them to share some of the data, um, particularly around how they use the bikes, utilization times, charging rates, um, along with pre and post program surveys, um, which will again inform how we can scale and replicate this program um, in the future. And beyond just working with the app-based workers, this program will also recruit a local bike shop to provide maintenance to these um, e-bikes. Next slide, please. Um, and here's our project timeline. We are just kickstarting this grant off uh, in April and working through the legislative process for the accept and expand resolution for the CEC grant. We're planning to launch the first cohort, the first cohort of this e-bike program in September. And um, time is of the essence. The uh, California Energy Commission is requiring the grant to close out by April 2024. Next slide, please. And um, commissioners, this concludes my presentation. Again, thank you for the opportunity to present this exciting program. I'm happy to answer any questions, and I'm also happy to provide you with an update as requested. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mr. Chu. Really appreciate it, and that was the first time I'm hearing about it. So it's really enlightening. Colleagues, if you have any questions or comments, please put your name in the chat. I see Commissioner Preston. Thank you, Vice Chair Fielder, and, and thank you, uh, Mr. Chu, for the presentation. So this is, I'm very excited about this. I know some of my colleagues, I know uh, 
Commissioner Marr has been very involved in this uh, as well. And uh, just really happy to see this getting off the ground. I, I think that it's, um, I think this is really a huge issue around it, both in terms of um, uh, reducing emissions in the city, but also in terms of street safety and increasingly, and especially in my district, but across the city, it's like the, the, the cars that are driving and stopping and making these deliveries are, you know, blocking bike lanes. It's just a huge issue on every block of our city. And then I think we're all, we all share the frustration from an environmental perspective of these very, you know, cars driving around our city, causing congestion emissions, you know, to deliver like a cup of coffee four blocks away, right? right. Or, 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 you know, or an item or, other small items. Um, so, um, so I'm really excited to, to see this moving forward. I did have a couple of questions. I, I, one is just a, around the incentives for the, the drivers. And it's really is an amazing stat, the 70% who are, you know, open to, to possibly switching, but I'm just curious, like what, what is that? What do the incentives look like? And, and are we optimistic that, um, whatever those incentives are is going to, you know, are we going to have like a huge number of people that want to participate and we're just choosing the 35 or the two cohorts of 35? Is that what we anticipate? Uh, so, yeah. What are the incentives and what, what do we expect the, the demand to look like uh, to participate? Sure. Uh, so uh, I can speak for the incentive part. So there are two pieces that we're trying to uh the two carrots that we were going to provide. So first one is, as I mentioned, like you get the e-bike at the end of the participation. Um, so that's includes all the equipment um, and uh, the the additional um, add-ons to the bicycle, the, the luggage rack, the headlights, all that stuff. It's yours at the end of this. Another piece I think uh, that is going to be helpful is we are going to um, we know time is money for app-based workers. So to compensate for the time to take those surveys, we're going to provide them with gift cards. Um, and that's another piece. The third that is not so direct is also we are, and this is why we have good alternatives and Bicycle Coalition as our co-applicants on this grant is we want them to maximize the potential of the EPEX. Ultimately, the incentive that's going to move others away from cars and pickups to do delivery is they realize, wow, with an e-bike, I can save this much money on maintenance. I avoid getting tickets with double parking. I can make so many more trips. Like the duty cycle improves of the vehicle improves so much. And so that's ultimately we would like to design a program that would effectuate that business case for operating e-bike uh, in San Francisco to make those deliveries. And in terms of recruitment, we are we haven't really um, we have not developed a full implementation plan yet. Uh, we we are in partnership, like like I mentioned, we are who have partners on this. We want to develop a recruitment process that's fair and equitable. I think there's going to be a lot of interest in this. So um, we're going to be developing the criteria for recruitment soon, and I'd be happy to report those criteria to the commission. Thank you. Um, and, and just one follow up on on the um, in the event that we're we do see a lot of folks who want to participate and, and, and bigger than the cohorts. I got, I'm just curious about the scaling. Like, I understand that this is, you know, trying to make sure we're funded through the grant, uh, being done at a certain, like as a pilot, 
with the idea of it being scalable. But I also can't help wondering if there's the interest, whether there's an opportunity to start bigger if there were additional funding. So I'm just curious if the if the size here, if the two cohorts and 35 bikes each, is that driven by the funding limits or is it driven by other capacity issues around supporting or is it driven by an estimate of the interest from drivers? I, so really with, the, with the, the, all those just related to the question of could, with the funding, could we do a pilot that was twice the size, three times yeah. the size? And, and, and part of the reason I ask is that like, it doesn't seem like there's a big downside. You know, it's not, yeah. it's like if we have the drivers willing to shift and we did have the funding, uh, it would seem to me we would want more cohorts. But I'm wondering what's what's driving the the scale of the of the pilot and would there be an ability to scale up the pilot and not just look forward to scaling after the pilot? Yeah, thank you for the question, uh, Commissioner Preston. So it's driven by the budget. Um, uh, is the 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 total grant cap is uh, 2.4 million, and so we want to do the four other things within that grant. And so basically, uh, we allocated uh, a we, what we thought was appropriate size uh, budget for the the e-bike pilot, and it's based on the uh, material that that we we uh, had, that the price of the material and, and obviously um, the cost to run the day-to-day -day operation of the program with our grant partners and basket coalition and things like that. So it's driven by the budget. Now, could we go bigger? Possibly, I think, if the other pieces of the other three pieces of this grant deliver some like savings, some cost savings, then we can potentially shift that savings into the fourth project. Of course, we'll have to have CEC um, uh, review and, and approval, but I, I think that's completely amenable and reasonable to do so. Great, thank you very much. Commissioner Singh. First of all, sorry, just getting my slightly sick voice in order. Um, first of all, I just want to say thank you. I'm incredibly excited. You know, as um, I was around when the original, as, as was Commissioner Mar, when the original um, gig labor study came out, and this was such a profound observation, um, particularly with the effects that uh, the sort of the, the problems that gig delivery drivers already have, um, you know, with uh, with labor exploitation, effectively making negative wages with car depreciation. I mean, some of those results are really, really shocking. And I'm very, very excited to see this moving forward. And thank you for your leadership on that, Interim Director Chu. Um, I wanted to ask a couple things about, and maybe this is putting the cart before the horse a little bit, um, in terms of what the the data collection, but also if, this, if there's going to be sort of an, you know, exit survey, and I understand why we don't want to make that so time consuming and complicated, but will we be collecting feedback on two things, I think two kind of general categories that I'm thinking about when I'm thinking back to the original study, um, you know, has this, um, has this impacted how this may impact their 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 wages and earnings or other maybe other quality of life indicators that are related to their labor or in the second category which i know is a different bucket um feedback on street safety improvements um so yeah i realize that those are sort of 
two different buckets, but I think what I'm thinking about what I would like to see um, or what I would like more feedback on from these um, drivers at the end of the pilot, those are kind of two of the buckets that are, I'm thinking of. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. Def, def, uh, definitely uh, great ideas. Um, particularly, um, we had not thought about the site, the the safety aspect and how it could inform future policies um, to um, you know effectuate more deliveries as we are thinking about scaling up to uh, include um, other forms of deliveries not beyond food. So um, we can we would definitely um, integrate your feedback into the survey. Thank you. Yeah. And I'll just, yeah, I'll just follow up that by, by saying, um, I believe, and I wish I had the number on me or had the original survey data. I have it somewhere in the bowels of my computer hard drive, but, um, but yeah, I, I do, I do recall that a significant plurality of, um, of drivers were still citing, you know, they were citing cost of e-bikes, which is of course as the primary, as a primary reason why they haven't switched. But I, if I recall correctly, um, a lack of street safety and a sense of, of danger on San Francisco streets, as, as Commissioner Preston alluded to, um, was a, another significant concern. Right. Thank yeah. Thank you, Commissioner Singh. Um, and you know, great point. We, we, as I mentioned, the Bicycle Coalition um, is, is going to be uh, instrumental in helping those new uh, e-bike Operators feel a little more comfortable. They be providing the training, uh, safety, and also, um, I guess, the, the securing the e-bikes um, in, in their day-to-day -day activities. Great, thanks, Commissioner Mar. Thank you uh, so much, uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Chief, for for all of your work on this and for the the update. Really exciting to see this this program. Um, launching later this year, and it, it's really the the um, you know right now the first and, and hopefully not the last uh, key sort of policy um, idea or recommendation that came out of the the, the groundbreaking uh, study on the needs of, of app-based gig workers um, sponsored by Lapco. Um, I just uh, you know I'm I'm a big proponent of e-bikes, and I, I was able to to save up money and get get an e-bike um, during the pandemic. And for the first time in my life, it's allowed me to, to use a bicycle for transportation in San Francisco um, rather than just recreation, you know, which is I had, what I'd mostly done before. And um, so I can really see um, just, yeah, a lot of how supporting um, e-bike um, more residents, you know, beyond just the, the gig, the app-based delivery workers in, in this important program, but more broadly e-bike, um, um, usage in the city as, as, you know, really key part of our um, climate action plan again, again, and, and the transportation um, part of it. And today was bike to wherever day. So I had a, a great ride, you know, um, on my e-bike with a bunch of folks from Outer Sunset to City Hall um, and was able to use, you know, the JMK promenade and, and slow paid. So I think we're, we're, we're working on the street you know, making the seat streets safer, you know, for people to use bicycles as transportation. So that's great, but it's, but because e-bikes are so expensive, um, you know, it's gonna require, um, especially for lower income folks, um, subsidies beyond just, you know, the ones that we're providing to the app-based delivery workers. So my, I guess my question is what, for, for the Department of the Environment, is is there a, 
a broader um, plan or strategy and plan for um, specifically around e-bikes as a as a key part of our climate action plan and the transportation component. Thank you, Commissioner Mark. It, cert it most certainly is. I think um, with our transportation land use strategy um, within within um, the, the modal aspects, uh, we are with have a target of you know eighty percent of the uh, in inbound city trips done on on a uh, low carbon mode. Um, so that's transit, um, bicycle, and walking. And to that end, you know, as you mentioned, um, you know, providing um, strategies to overcome some of the barriers, like fund, like affording the electric bicycle and, and, you know, um, and those are not in, you know, those are significant. So, uh, we are keeping an eye on funding opportunities, especially from the state level, you know, um, again, uh, electric vehicle, the definition is, is pretty broad. It's beyond cars and trucks, thankfully, and the state also feels the same way. So within that, um, you know, the state has allocated uh, 2.1 billion just in just through the Air Resources Board to fund vehicles, and that includes e-bikes. And so we'd be tracking that very carefully to ensure, to ensure some of that investments can come into San Francisco, but potentially potentially stand up a program, a a, a e-bike rebate program like Contra Costa County is currently implementing, um, so that we overcome the the, the pricing barrier. Yeah, well that. That's really good to hear that because there, there is a lot of focus on um, electric vehicles right now right. And, and most people assume that just means cars, electric cars, and, and that's positive, but it's good to hear that e-bikes are considered in that, especially here in San Francisco through right. this work, so thank you. Thank you so much, Mr. Chu, for your presentation to my colleagues for your questions and comments. Um, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on this item, Madam Clerk? Yes, Madam Vice Chair Jaime is checking to see if we have any callers in the queue. If you have not already done so, please press star three to be added to the speaker line. For those already on hold, please continue to wait until the system indicates that you have been unmuted. And we are checking and there are no callers, Madam Vice Chair. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Seeing no public speakers, public comment is now closed and there is no action to take on this matter. Thank you so much, Mr. Chu. Madam Clerk, can you please call item number nine? Yes, item number nine is the executive officer's report for members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item. Please call 415-655-0001, meeting ID 2497-418-9681, then pound and pound again. If you haven't already done so, please press star three to line up to speak and a system prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand. Please wait until we call for public comment on this item. And the system indicates that you have been unmuted and that will be a cue to begin your comments. Madam Vice Chair. Thank you, Madam Clerk. All right, we will now hear from Executive Officer Jeremy Pollack. Okay, uh, thank you very much, Vice Chair. Um, I have a very brief Executive Officer's report for you today. Um, uh, the main item is just a reminder that <clears throat> we now have a new uh, second public seat for LAFCO and the vacancy notice is posted on our website. Uh, you can find it um, in the top uh, menu bar of sfgov.org slash LAFCO. Um, and uh, we we're hoping to to schedule that for a future meeting to uh, appoint a new member of the public to, to LAFCO. Uh, 
the, the requirements to, to be a, a public member on LAFCO is that you have to be a resident of San Francisco. Uh, unlike Board of Supervisors Commission, we're not able to waive that requirement. Um, and uh, LAFCO commissioners cannot be officers or employees of the city and county of San Francisco. Um, so, yeah, would appreciate uh, any help from from you all in, in getting the word out. Uh, and if anyone watching is interested in learning more, uh, feel free to reach out to me. My email is on the screen and you can find it again through the LAFCO website. Um, and other than that, I just wanted to go a quick run through of the, the forward calendar. Uh, we have uh, no meeting next month because of uh, taking a break for the, um, the, the city budget process and uh, have a, a full agenda planned for July. And then, um, yeah, looking at future updates on Clean Power SF and from the reinvestment working group uh, over the, the remainder of the year. Um, and uh, yeah, all this, of course, is subject to, to changes um, as various priorities uh, go along and what comes with the year and subject to approval from Chair Chan. But um, if any of you all have uh, future agenda items you would like to, to work on, please uh, reach out to me. And uh, that concludes my report. Thank you so much, Officer Pollock. Appreciate the, the decision. Uh, colleagues, do you have any questions? All right, seeing none. Uh, Madam Clerk, are there any members of the public who are in the queue to speak? Yes, Madam Vice Chair Jaime is checking to see if we have any callers who are in the queue. Uh, if you have not already done so, please press star three to, add, uh, to uh, enter the speaker's line. If, um, please continue to wait until the system indicates that you have been unmuted. And we do not have any public commenters for this matter. All right, thank you, Madam Clerk. Seeing no public speakers, public comment is now closed. Thank you again, Officer Pollock, for your presentation. And there's no action to take on this matter. Madam Clerk, can you please call item number 10? Yes, uh, agenda item number 10 is public comment for members of the public. Uh, they, you may address the San Francisco Local Agency Formation Commission on matters that are within their jurisdiction, but are not on today's agenda. Uh, if you wish to provide public comment, please call 415-655-0001, meeting ID 2497-418-9681, then pound and pound again. Press star three to enter the speaking line and the system prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand. Uh, wait till the system indicates that you have been unmuted and that will be your cue to begin your comments. Pausing to see if we have any callers and no, we do not have any public commenters on this uh, for public comment. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Seeing no public speakers, public comment is now closed. Madam Clerk, can you please call item number 11? Yes, agenda item number 11 is future agenda items. If you wish to speak on this matter, please press star three to line up to speak. Um, and the system prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand. Wait until we take, for, take public comment on this. And the system indicates that you have been unmuted. Madam Vice Chair. Colleagues, are there any future agenda items to note? All right, let's now open this up for public comment. Are there any members of the public who would like to comment on item number 11, which is future agenda items? 
Uh, Jaime is checking to see if we have any callers in the queue. If you have not already done so, please press star three to line up to speak and wait until the system indicates that you have been unmuted. We are checking, pausing, and we have no call uh, public commenters. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Seeing no public speakers, public comment is now closed and there is no further action to take on this matter. Madam Clerk, is there any other business before us today? That concludes our business for today. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Um, all right, well, there being no further business, we are adjourned.